I'm just along for the ride. I guess I'm sort of ready. Good luck. You're starting, right? No. Thoughts and off you, my guy. (laughs) Well, what what could be bad here? Everything. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to another potentially useful TCAPS Loop EdTech podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and I'm joined by fellow TCAPS Loop cabinet members, touring Barry Sachs virtuoso, David Noller. I have Steffi still in here. Cross that out. Clever comment concerning Steffi Light and satorially resplendent Evan Obranovic. It's wonderful. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Before opening this session, let's gather our thoughts and focus our breath as we consider another TCAPS loop moment of Zen. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. And exhale. I think this quote from Nelson Mandela is an appropriate table setter as we prepare for Common Sense Media's 10th annual, 10th annual mm-hmm. Digital Citizenship Week, which is next week or when this pod comes out, possibly this week. And this pod's fifth year of, uh, of the show doing a focused episode on Digital Citizenship Week. I think the first year we did not do one, probably because we really didn't know that there was a Digital Citizenship <laughs> Week. That's possible. Is, is my assumption. We assumed it was a passing fad, digital citizenship. <laughs> right. Well, the whole digital citizenship or the whole uh, online social media thing, yeah. we We're, thought was just, yeah. What's the yeah. internet really going to become, you know? <laughs> also a fad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're going to end up having two podcasts, I think, focused on this subject. Actually, we're probably going to be having more because we usually do a couple uh, during the year about this topic. Um, this one, David, I think you had a, uh, a decent way into it. What did you have here? Screen time, not the bad guy. Not the bad guy, as it turns out. Um, you know, for a long time, just being on a screen has been demonized as something that uh, hurts our kids or has some negative effect on them. And as it turns out, it's not as bad as we've made it out to be. It's not the bugaboo. That's not the the one. Just we can get our kids off screen time, then we can solve all of our problems. A lot of the studies have been associated with related health issues. Like kids spend five hours on the screen and so they're more obese. Okay. So that's, it's an activity issue and we can get them to be more active throughout the day, but that's not really a result of being in the screen so much as it is not taking those other opportunities as well. Right. Same thing with like the, the diminished sleep. It's not the screen that's keeping them awake. It's the choice that they're making to stay up really late. And so their sleeplessness during the day is a matter of staying up too late and not sleeping as long rather than directly being caused by being on the screen. Correlation is not necessarily causation. Exactly. There's a study at uh, the University of Colorado at Boulder, and it's the largest study of this kind that's ever been done. It followed 12,000 9 to 10-year-olds. Uh, It's the Adolescent Brain Cognitive Development Study. And they're following these kids from the ages of 9 and 10 all the way through when they're 20. And by comparison, when I was looking at some other studies that were suggesting some of the negative effects of screen time, they were talking about young people. And that could be people from 15 to 19. I saw one study that was talking about young people. And their their study group was um, 3,000 19 to 32-year-olds. 
And that was one that was associating screen time with depression. And so this is the first one that's that's taking a look at that large of a group and that started it all at that 9 to 10 age and is following them through for a decade. So it's 12,000 kids in this study um, from all across different socioeconomic factors. And they looked at three critical issues associated with learning, sleep, mental health, behavior, and friendships. Okay, that's four. Math's not your strong suit. I mean, I like math, but math in the moment, maybe. (laughs) Not so much. And so they looked at those four areas, and their findings are pretty much in opposition to what a lot of what we just hear out there about screen time. One of the main conclusions, one of the key quotes that you can get from the study is that when looking at the strength of the correlations between screen time and the various outcomes, whether good or bad, it's so small, it's unlikely to be important at a clinical level. That sure, there are some associations there, like kids who uh, have a lot of screen time are like 2% more likely to exhibit disrupted sleep. But a larger factor is socioeconomic status. If you make everything else equal, socioeconomic status is a much more likely predictor of sleep disruption, of anxiety, of attention disorder than screen time. So screen time is not the bad guy, (laughs) in other words. Very, very clearly what they found, and I don't even think it's at this point a realistic uh, target. How many jobs right now are focused on screen time. We're sure. going to be in front of our screens and on some level. It's whether or not we're being, yeah. and I think this is where you're going. Yeah. It's whether or not we're being productive yeah. when and, we're on our screens or good humans when we're on, our, on those screens. That's the interesting thing about this study. They didn't even look at educational screen time. It was just social. They looked at social media. They looked at gaming. They looked at television watching. And with all of that, not only did they find that there was no negative correlation with behavior and aggression and sleep and all that, they actually showed that there's actually a positive correlation with close friends. If you are somebody who spends a lot of time on a screen, you're more likely to have close friends. And that's true for both boys and girls. I mean, I'm somebody who's, I'm a video gamer. I have friends across Michigan, in Wisconsin, in, where does he live now, Texas, And I use gaming as a way to socialize, to stay in contact with those people. And what they found is the same is true of these 9 and 10-year-olds. When they get on on their game at night and play for a couple hours, they're playing with Jimmy from class, but he lives far enough away that they can't hang out together in the evening. But they can at night on on a game platform where they can talk to each other and help each other solve a problem. Often that's combat. (laughs) But you know what I mean. They're engaged in social behaviors that bring them closer together around a shared experience. If I want to make it fancy talk about what gaming is, right? So that was something that even as somebody who advocates for this kind of experience anyway, that conclusion surprised me because while I felt that in my own relationships, I didn't expect it to necessarily be part of a conclusion of this mass study, that gaming and being on a screen, even using social media, actually improves and deepens friendships. That was my wow moment. 
that's when I was like, I can, this is a thing I want to talk about. That tracks quite a bit with what I had um, heard from some individuals that I, I had spoken to. A lot of their concerns were less with screen time or access to screens and much more concerned with content than the content that's on the screens and making sure that individuals in general had the skills and ability to navigate appropriately what they're going to find on those screens, how to be Mm -hmm. good digital citizens. I mean, and that's always, that content factor is always a concern, whether it's what's on the screen in front of them in the, on their computer in their bedroom or what's on the screen when they go to the movies. Uh, we've always been dealing in America with that uh, push and pull between creativity and appropriateness, whether it's fil- in filmmaking or music or video games. If you look back at like the PMRC um, trials or hearings of uh, when John Denver went on trial for singing Rocky Mountain High and being accused of singing about drugs, when what he meant was it's this place is great. You should come here. It's amazing. It'll make you feel wonderful. Um, those kinds of controversies have always landed in, in American society. And we always we always get thrown. And we always figure out a way to find the path through that. And right now, I think the important thing is we as parents and we as teachers, we help our kids navigate that and give them the tools to know what's right and what what's wrong, what's appropriate, what's not. But at some point, they're going to become adults and they're going to have to navigate that on their own. So that's where that instructional stuff comes in about content and about values and about expectations. But that's much more on the side of personal values and family expectations and those kind of things than it is about just the matter of being on a screen, which itself is still pretty looked down upon in terms of like an activity to do. I'll tell you, it's the only way my daughter still stays in contact with her boyfriend who lives in Traverse City, and she's in Houghton, and they get on and they play video games together and chat, and they can still talk to each other and feel close to each other, even though they're several hundred miles apart. It can be a tool. I guess I, I'm going to look at you, Evan. You have a very interesting perspective, A, as the tech, as a tech director, but also, you know, Dave and I have kids, but our kids are are older now. You have younger kids. I'm not entirely sure their ages, but I think they're definitely at the point where they're they may be entering that digital environment. If they're not already there, when they get there, what are your expectations? What do you with with the information that David just just threw out there? Is that does that change your perspective? How does that affect your perspective on what you're planning to do as a parent? Just keep them locked in a room with books and and no, no plugs or anything around. It's the ultimate goal. Uh, no, yeah, they're, they're young. So kindergarten and preschool. Okay. So they're, they're kind of looking at the entrance of, you know, what screen time, digital citizenship, uh, characteristics they need to do. And, and they certainly, uh, have kind of a, a, a healthily controlled, I'd like to think as, as myself and my wife, uh, experience with with some of those versions of media and as we all know all parents seem to love the iPads myself included can really help get going and and I think what David has mentioned and just that conversation is absolutely what you can see if you kind of take a step back I think something like just talking about screen time in general like we were just 
was just discussed, is the low-hanging fruit, is it really actually addressing the problem? Is it getting into those deeper concerns that and, and real root causes, we'll say, of some of these issues? No, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think even at, at a point where coming up before being a director, being a, an ed tech coach like David and Danielle, um, looking at those things and, and kind of feeling like, you know, that that was the big wave. Screen time, screen time, screen time. Parents were all about screen time. Everyone was trying to get the resources on how to keep screen time down. What does that look like educationally in screen time? And um, not that I'm some sort of, uh, you know, brilliant Nostradamus, but I just kind of kept looking at that and being much like what this study has found and being like, well, is that really the problem? Is it that they're sitting in front of there or is it that are we not doing a good job controlling what what that looks like? And so for for my own children especially, but then, you know, as my my student population here in TCAPS, you look at it, you're like, you want it to be effective, you want it to be useful, you want it to be meaningful, uh, you want to give the teachers and the parents the tools to, you know, have either the conversations or just the control and, and the understanding of what that can be and what that should look like and and then use what's out there which is so much for the the power of good because i think of you know youtube is another great example of something that is beloved and hated all at the same time and you see all those elements and then but you can see where the power of it is and that and that really in my mind kind of should be the focus like wow this is so powerful how do I ensure that that, you know, that power is used for good? And so, you know, looking at what, what my own children do with YouTube, um, trying to obviously curate what things they can watch, what they're actually interested in, and then seeing how that impacts them. And so that can they sit mindlessly in front of an iPad and watch YouTube for like two hours? Absolutely. Do I try and limit just that in general so they're not just sitting there two hours? But when that content, it's like, if you want to watch a 20 minute long video that you are super engaged in, and then we see a path forward to what that's building. So how that's affecting their play with one another in a room without any devices, which it absolutely does, because they like to watch videos of other kids playing with toys that they have similar ones and creating environments and worlds and conversations. And then I watch them do that and not have the desire. They don't go, well, can I just watch it on the iPad? Like they want to do it too. And so that's an exciting and, and kind of, again, like what Dave is saying, the power of how to use it for good or at least mold it in a way that they're doing these kinds of things. We're using the screen time. They're getting on and finding the power to do something that is empowering them or giving them the idea to take those next steps, hopefully become creative on their own. And what do they want to do after that, which we don't let them do a publish but they record themselves just on, on an iPad camera, shooting their own video, having a conversation, building language skills, doing step-by-step instructions of how to build or dress their new doll. And I, I see nothing but benefits to that. So, so to me, to see you know where the good can come of it, but you certainly have to be aware of the bad. But again, I think it's the right questions, right? Is it, is it purely just looking at it as bad? Or is, again, how we're looking at it, how we're using it? And so... It's a lot to navigate. And then as we talked before, the recording actually started happening. You know, it's going to change tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. And so what I have a good handle on now with my little ones likely has no bearing next month, let alone when they're old enough to try and manage some of it on their own, where we want to obviously give those kids the skill set to do so. 
what you're telling me though, or what I'm hearing is that you are setting up the foundational skills. So even though the content that they're um, ingesting might change or the ways that they're ingesting the content might change, the relationship that you're building with their digital device and in their, with their digital world is one of being a, a conscious consumer as opposed to you know, just going in there without any, any again, foundational skills. And this was surprising on common, in Common Sense Media, who has set up this, this uh, Digital Citizenship Week. They had a Google slide set up for K-12 instruction, suggestions for K-12 instruction, which I would say probably when we started this um, podcast would have been, no, we don't want to have our K through 12, K through two, K through two, excuse me, K through two students in front of screens. They shouldn't even, that shouldn't even be a thing. Well, that's not a real realistic expectation. And we're, I think we're finding to what you're saying is that in fact, we should be starting to develop those digital skills that early as foundational pieces of their development and growth. So when they get into third through fifth, six through eight, and I would say, you know, six through eighth is where they need to have those embedded skills set before they get there so that they're able to manage their digital lives appropriately and not have it kind of wash over them and then not be able to navigate the content appropriately. What we've seen throughout history is just the attempts to totally remove, ban, or restrict something that is seeping into all aspects of our life is not going to go well. So don't start with this. So now we have studies that are reversing this course, you know, within years of the old mentality of like you said, just the time in front is bad. And uh, if you take that approach, it's everyone's right. And we understand it. And I know there's a lot to navigate and that and that's where we're hopefully coming in. Like we said, what resources can we provide? Digital citizenship week should be more than a week, right? These concepts should be, again, permeating into everything we're doing. And that's one of the biggest challenges we have right now. But to take that mentality of just, we really need to develop this. How are they going to handle this? I would love for at this point, because they're still little, uh, to have them live with me forever and just, you know, have a happy household, but that's not realistic. And so I want them, I don't want to snap awake in the middle of the night, every night as they get older being like, wow, I hope they're just not watching YouTube. Like I never let them do at home so that they don't pick up anything bad because I'm kidding myself. And I think we, we all kind of are. And so you just, yeah, you have to be a realist and you have to, you know, roll with it as much as you can. I mean, this is the technology mentality. And, you know, it's kind of one of those that it works not just in technology. This is what we're specifically talking about. But it's just like it is the way to try and develop good, productive, hopefully self-sufficient humans that you can feel confident in and you know will hopefully take care of themselves as well. As you're responding to that, I I kept thinking back to this this other point. We sometimes think about, we start thinking about screen time and then we start thinking, okay, but what about the content within the screens, which is one of the questions you asked. One of the things that came up and they didn't get into content, but they did get into type of screen. And so if you think about laptops or mobile devices, um, social media sites versus gaming versus just sitting down and watching TV for five hours, right? 
the conclusion was basically, look, four to five hours in any one of those settings doesn't hurt anybody. Now, what they're waiting to see and what they're interested to learn is, do the activities like gaming and social media that seem to have a positive impact on friendship closeness, is that limited to that? Or can the kid who sits down to watch TV all day also experience that same growth? And I saw that initially, and I kind of chuckled at it because it sounds silly. But at the same time, we use fiction to develop a sense of empathy for those people who are around us who are in different situations in life. And whether they're actively aware of it or not, it may be that the kid that goes home and sits himself in front of the TV is just getting empathy lessons that we're not kind of aware of, which isn't to say that I'm encouraging all kids to go home and watch TV for, for, for five hours. But just in terms of the devices and the screen time, is it good or bad? The conclusions of the study aren't necessarily saying that, oh yeah, absolutely, go home and spend three hours on your device. But they are saying that, hey, if you are doing that, it's not really going to hurt you. But there are still the, we can still come back to things like family and personal values where we can say things like, well, sure, you can play your video game with your friends, but why don't you go take the dogs for a walk first? So we can encourage physical activity and those things. In terms of the content, we always have to come back to eventually they're going to have to decide how they're going to be consumers of that content. And, you know, like uh, Evan said, we need we need more context in the schools to help kids understand what that content can be and how to interact with it in a meaningful and socially responsible way, if you want to put it that way. I've talked to my girls about their use of social media and neither of them open their accounts to just whoever. It's just their friends. And sometimes drama comes up and sometimes people get mad or people get sad, but it's not a dangerous place because they've limited it to just their friends and they don't open it up to the world. Same thing with their gaming. They don't have public accounts. They have accounts where they connect with just their friends. So they're not going to get some random, some rando coming on there and talking in their ear and being a jerk because they're just not allowed. And so I think that's, that's the perspective that we need to remember is that we've got the study suggesting that the screen itself is not bad. We've also got the, the issue of content. And that's something that we as parents and educators need to address with our kids so that they understand. And then we need to know that our kids can be independent users of those tools in a way where they know that they are safe and protected and that they've set themselves up in a position where they're kind of responsible for the space that they're in. And the consequences that come from that are the ones that are going to come from their intention of setting that up. One of the things that I, I guess I, I, I heard there was it's, it's not the screen. It's not even the content. It's teaching our kids that it's about their relationship and understanding of the screen and the content. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit deeper than just saying, pointing at the device. It, I was thinking about this when you were initially talking about the screen time and whether or not the screen's bad. It's like looking at water and going, people drown in water, therefore water is bad. Right. That's not analogous. It doesn't make any sense. It does. It makes huge sense. <laughs> it does. Because I think that's sort of, that was the early perspective on screen time was bad things happen on the screen. Don't use it. 
and into what you're commenting on it with books, it's not the content that's bad. I was thinking about this again, going back to, well, you know, if you're watching, if you're watching TV, you could be watching Mr. Rogers for six hours, again, building that empathy or whatever in, in, in those type of skills or the A team. Okay. Th- those are two very different things and nobody, you know, anybody, the people, well, maybe en- you might engin- not even know engineering, uh, yeah. A team wise, leadership build, skills, well, exactly. leadership skills, and all, so. all kinds of Don't things. Sleep on the A team. Well, exactly. I would so, argue so, you might but, have hand in hand there. Rogers and A team. But much but the there same. but but there but there's you know there's violence and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's not necessarily so you could say oh the A team's bad. Mister Rogers is good because there's such a gulf. It's the relationship that you have with those things. You can watch the A team and again get all kinds of different you know, different skills from that or storytelling, just simply watching the story because you're having a relationship with. We're seeing that that we're seeing that in our, some of our parental interactions with library content where it's clear there's a different relationship with the content that they're hearing about in that are the, in the books in the library between one group of parents and between another group of parents where they both know that the content is the same, but one views it from one entirely different perspective than another. And that's obviously where that conflict is created is in the difference of perspective. Well, and one thing that I found, you know, as David was kind of talking about the relationship and and you were just actually expounding on is it, to me, there's also an element of, and how they're consuming the content, right? Like I said, whether it's on a TV, it's on your iPad, it's on your phone, it's social media, it's a show on cable there's also a pretty strong element of of how they're doing that and how you particularly as a whole say family are doing that or allowing that so are you watching some of the shows with your kids something as my kids are little we try and do i will sit down with them and not just go go ahead and go in your room take the ipad and watch what you want i know it's great content maybe and so i feel confident but then if you set up that expectation that that's how that's consumed or just traditional as, as someone who's a very casual gamer myself, but it's like, what's the, what's the thought of gaming? It's in the basement, it's in the TV, away from everyone else, and you're kind of sitting there doing your own thing. It's, it's not brought up into maybe the larger picture where discussions can happen and questions can be asked. And, and so it's a great lesson, again, when you have the little kids because they don't know what they don't know, and they're not shy about asking things. So when you have that interaction with them, they'll point blank. Why is this happening? Or what's this about? Or the next YouTube playlist, so to speak, came up, or the next cue on the Netflix. And, oh, it's that show. Like, is, is that something I can watch? And and you have to have that conversation. Maybe yes, maybe no, or maybe we can sit down together. You know, maybe my mom, your mom and I will watch that first and have that discussion. And and just to make that kind of normalized as well can really help help that piece. So like if if you're comfortable with them, say being on social media, you have those certain controls or expectations in place, but they're doing it in a in a comforting space with everyone where they can just be like, oh, you know, hopefully you have that kind of relationship. Oh, uh, Susie's really going through a tough time right now. I just saw her post something crazy, and and not to either tattle on Susie or but just because you are talking with the people in your family, those you have relationships with and, and not making it kind of, I think a lot of times where it's just because of, like I said, traditional 
mediums or how it's been set up. It's it's solely between you and say that screen or whatever that medium is and trying to break that and, and doing it um, with your family so that everyone's comfortable can be really important. And I just see in my own experience how that's really helped and made me again, like I said, feel more comfortable with what they're doing and not just be like, water is bad, screen is bad. It's just like, we're talking about it. We're, we're watching a story being read on YouTube. Wow, this is interesting. I'm reliving all my fun childhood memories watching some of these goofy movies. And then we're talking about why that's silly, why that's funny, why that's scary. And then, like we said, be careful with that, Evan, because we've we we had we ended up having something called inappropriate movie night on Friday nights because every time we tried to show one of our favorite movies from the past, and we were confident we're age appropriate, missed the mark several times. I did that with um, Pretty in Pink. Oh, which I remembered the story, and my child was old enough for what I remembered of the story. But there were a couple points during which she turned to me and said, "Why are we watching this?" Because she was scandalized by it. Um, it was beyond her level of sensitivity that she could really take in. And I said, I'm sorry. I didn't remember. There were a couple scenes that I didn't recall being as provocative or confrontational as they ended up being. One of my favorite times with kids in media like this, where this actually happened to me, and it was so, I still love this day. My kids were about seven and 10, and we went to see a Mumford & Sons show down in Ohio. It was a two-day festival. We heard like 10 different bands, but Mumford & Sons was one of the headliners. And there's a song. It's a very popular song. And there's a sentence enhancer in one of the lyrics, which is what I call those spicy words. Sentence enhancer. Spicy words. And... You know, this is a popular song. It was on their CD. We were listening to their music in the car all the time. And at one point, you know, my kids asked, isn't that a bad word? And I said, well, yes, it is. Um, but you'll find that musicians and authors and poets and people who make movies, they'll use sentence enhancers, spicy words, uh, to elevate their expression of emotion. Or they'll use it to, to give emphasis to something. And I said, it doesn't mean that we're going to start using it around the house, but that's why they do it. And so when you hear it, you shouldn't be like necessarily turned off by it, but you can know that it's a way that an artist is using words as part of their art, but you don't have to participate. What you just said there is exactly what my thought is about this topic. You have an understanding of what the screen is for or what the, what's happening on the screen, what, what's happening with the content, you don't have to use it. That doesn't have to be your relationship with it because really it's about your relationship to it. Right. One of the people I was talking to used a lot was being critical of it, not in a negative way, but having a critical eye towards what you're viewing all the time. Te- teaching that trust is earned, not just given. That should be our, our approach to most of the content when you were mentioning uh, your kiddos watching YouTube, having an understanding of why things are coming up next on YouTube. You know, when is the appropriate time to have that discussion about algorithms and how those things are, are created? When do you start teaching them to curate their own digital lives and how that would actually work? That's where we start to look at instead of the screen or the device or the content, but more how the curation happens and how it's being curated to you. 
my daughter and I just had that conversation the other day because I was watching a show and she saw what I was watching and she said, do you think I'd like that? And I said, I don't think you would. It's a little bit too much about a disturbed person. And it's, it's a little bit too much about violence. I don't think you'd, I don't think you'd like it because I know her mindset and I know what her sensitivities are. And so she knows to ask, but I also know that because because I know who she is and she knows that, that when I walk in and she's watching something, if I have any question, I'll just ask her, is there anything in there I should be worried about? And she'll say, no. And I know that I can trust her response to that because we've, we've already sort of been through this as a family, right? She's 17. So, and my, my daughter who's up at college, she barely has time for any of this stuff anymore. Her interactions with technology are like setting up her calendar for the week doing your work for her engineering degree, doing the work back at the at the house that she is hired by, and then, oh, yeah, homework, and then, oh, yeah, let me spend an hour playing games with my, my friends. So her interaction with, like, social media and that kind of thing has gone so far to the bottom of priority because that's just not the life she's living right now. Yeah, the conversations are are great and then hopefully it'll maintain to to see as david does now with the kids being older similar experiences talking to my girls watching a movie um, my oldest and oldest being kindergarten surprisingly making kind of just a very poignant comment about how the main character was sad because of the events around them and why they were doing what they were doing and and you like kind of take it back and then in a sense almost surprising myself because then I started talking about making an inference and describing what that means and being like just like then you stop and be like we just had that whole thing kind of on the fly because we are comfortable again having those conversations and it's just part of what we're doing if we're watching that it's not be quiet everyone watch no one say anything it's we're watching it we're talking about it we're processing it we're we are deciding if it's time to bail, which we've done numerous times. Is this is this movie too scary? Yeah, I didn't I didn't really like that part. You're like, okay, you know what? Put a pin in it. We can come back to that later. Maybe when you're older, you'll think that's good. And they have that kind of tagline in their head. They're like, I can watch that one when I'm older, right, Dad? I'm like, maybe if if you're feeling up to it, you you certainly can. And and you know, and then having those fun times of like, I love this movie. <laughs> and then you watch it, you're like, oh. You are not going to love this movie, but again, they'll tell me too. Like, well, this is this is a little scary. To, totally, I am not even thinking about it. But you are right; that is not in the realm of what we should be watching right now. Which I have a core memory of too of my mom running a, a youth group. Said we were going to I think Cedar Point. Everyone's on the bus. The bus has a TV on it to put a VHS, and she puts in sixteen candles. Oh my god! Because she loved that movie. And then about five minutes in, if you remember the movie yeah. about some of the scenes, she's like, oh, gosh, I totally blanked this whole part yeah. out. And we're yeah. just like, and I just remember being the son of said mother and being like, oh, my gosh. And then being like, but I do remember watching it. And again, maybe not thinking about it. But yes, we should not be watching this on the youth group bus on the way down to Cedar <laughs> Point. So, you know, and those things happen. And and again, yeah, it's just so key. It's it's easier said than done, obviously, but to to have the dialogue to set up that scenario where those conversations can happen because you're getting past just the easy route of saying screen bad, which is again just not 
not where it's at right now. And, and if you hold on to that mentality, you're going to do yourself and kind of that development, like we said, of those people, the younger people, especially a big disservice. Yeah. There's a lot here. I know there's a lot here. There's a lot here. The screen time is but a drop in the bucket. It's a huge, huge undertaking. I think, you know, when you start talking digital citizenship, how it's currently being portrayed, how it's currently uh, attempted to being, you know, distributed, uh, shared, the resources out there, how those are evolving, and and again, even the right way to do that, right? So as we've said, like standalone digital citizenship week, great, get the awareness out. It's just seemingly a never-ending uh, thumping, though, to be like how do we build this into just what you're doing? Because screen time's happening all the time. All the digital resources are happening all the time. And so, again, the more you have these conversations on a regular basis, you don't have as much pressure on trying to instill these qualities in somebody because it's kind of regularly happening. And uh, it's it's happening in real time. And so, like you said, you could do, you could have a pod series for sure. And I'm sure there's plenty that exist out there on on what digital citizenship should, could, and would look like. And so it's something that we're going to keep working on. Right. Last words? I think the conversation about screen time is a good jumping off point for every other topic in um, digital citizenship. Once we get past the idea that screens are bad, no, they're not, then we can talk about the really important stuff. So it's just that bridge to everything else that we want to get to. Great tagline for the pod right there. That was it. Mike dropped this guy. Uh, do you have a tech tool of the week? Does anybody have a tech tool of the week? I always rely on the the wisdom Dan- of the ed tech Danielle. coaches. Yeah. <laughs> and Danielle has always got the best ones for sure. She does. No. That is, I, that, that like, is okay. You, yeah. you, you just got that's out of a, like did, teaching and stuff. So that's it's a thing. Yeah. Anyway. All I'll right. Just make noise. <laughs> <laughs> well, follow us on Facebook. Actually, not on Facebook. We're really on Facebook, kind of, but we're mostly on Twitter. Um, at TCAPSLOOP. At Technologist. At Evan O'Brenner. All right. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, TuneIn, Pocket Cast, Downcast, Overcast, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Thanks for listening and inspiring. Hi, this is Car. <laughs> what car are we? <laughs> 55. This is Car 5.5. Five. We're in a truck. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This podcast has officially gone off the rails.